Man, I am uh, very excited to get to start this brand new series with you today called I Love Philly. I Love Philly. You guys have probably seen that around before, maybe something somewhat like that, right? That like, I love something. A lot of times it's, it's used in a whole bunch of different things, but most commonly when we see it, it's usually about a city, right? You might see the I Love Philly shirts, the I Love New York shirts, maybe I Love Chicago shirts. You've seen those things. A lot of times it's the white shirt with the pink heart or the red heart. And it's kind of this common way of saying, like, there's something special about that, that city to me. Maybe for some people who wear those shirts, it's like about the city they're from. If you search I Love Philly, uh, you'll find that on every product you can imagine. T-shirts, beer mugs, um, anything you, you can think of. It's been imprinted on that, okay? And maybe it's because, like, oh, I'm, I'm from that city. That's why I love it. That's why I have that shirt. That's why I have these things. Or maybe, perhaps... Um, it's a city that you've, you've went to, and you'll see people going somewhere where they go a trip to New York or to Philadelphia or something, and they buy one of those shirts because they said, oh, it was just such a great town. It just really stands out to me as being one of my favorite places to go. I just love that place. This is really true with Philadelphia, like I was saying. That they call it the city of brotherly love, and, and there's just a lot of focus on that. I want to talk to you today, and actually for these next three weeks after this, for these next four weeks, about one man and the town that he loved. One man and the town that he loved. If you guys have a Bible with you, you can jump to Philippians 1, starting in verse 1. And I want to read you, this is the beginning of a letter that Paul is writing to his friends in Philippi. And here's what he says. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So we see this beginning of this letter, and here's what's revealed. And Paul, he loves Philippi. I mean, he loves the Philippians. If you ever wonder, when you get into your Bible, if you ever look at the New Testament, you get the, the Gospels, the story of Acts, and there's a whole bunch of these Ians, Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, over and over and over. And you might think, like, what are these? I don't know what those words mean. They don't make any sense to me. What they are is they're the people of that city. Paul traveled around and he planted churches in all these different cities. And then he would write letters to them as follow-up to correct them or to encourage them in what they were doing. So Corinthians would be a letter to the people in Corinth. Philippians would be a letter to the people in Philippi. Colossians would be to the people in Colossae. And what he did is he's writing these people. And that's why it was just, it was the city in that, uh, the people in that city. So Philippians, he's saying, man, it's the people there. It's the church there. It's the city. Paul, man, he loved Philippi. 
And I'm guessing if he's hanging out with his bros, maybe, you know, they just shorten that. And he's like, man, I, lo- I love Philly. I love Philly. One L, not two L's. That's Philadelphia. One L, Philly. That's, that's, that's Philippi, okay? P-H-I-L-I-P-P-I. Crazy spelling. Now you remember it. I love Philly. And I long to go back there. He starts his letter and he says, I just, I think about you guys and you just have such a special place in my heart. You really see this when you read through all his different letters and you realize Philippi sounds different than all the rest of them. None of his other letters start with this, man, I, I long to be with you guys. I, I love you guys. I mean, you really, really know it. They, out of all the letters, if you read like commentary on it, they'll say Philippians starts with this sweet tenderness in Paul's voice. He just, I love Philly. I wish I could go back to that place. Those people get me. I want to talk to you in these next weeks and today about the letter that he sent to his, his favorite city, the letter he sent to his favorite people. And my hope is that in it, we won't just see the, the, the conversation of a man who loves a community. We would see things that would change our lives forever. I believe there's great insight in each one of these chapters. And we're going to go chapter by chapter. Today we're going to look at chapter 1. Next week, 2, 3, 4. All the way through. And I want to invite you as well, if you're, if you're into this and you think, man, this sounds really interesting, I want to invite you to read Philippians with me in these next 30 days. For the next three weeks, basically, after this, we're going to keep coming back and looking at the next one. It's four chapters long. You could read a chapter a day. You could do it in four days if you even skipped in between or whatever. Every week you could read through it. If you wanted to, Philippians short enough, you could read it every day. And people say, that sounds crazy to read it for 30 days. I'm telling you, you will read this over and over again and you won't get sick and tired of it. And the goal would be, my goal, is that by the time we finish this month, by the time you hit July, man, if someone starts saying, "Uh, have you ever read that book Philippians? You'd say, oh, Philippians. I love Philly. I love Philly. Man, I mean, that, that book, oh, it's great wisdom. I know all about Philly from front to back. I know what's in there. And that there would be a book that you feel like you got a hold of and you really, really understand it. So we're going to take a look at this. And I believe that hopefully today, in the next weeks, we're going to walk out and we're going to say, Philippians has impacted my life forever. I am a moderately driven human being. That's a half-truth. I'm a very driven individual. Um, I'm one of those crazy people that if I see something and I think we should do it, I'm like, we're going to get it done tomorrow. Like, we're going to do this, right? Um, I'm the person who says, hey, we should start a church. (laughs) Ta-da! Right? Like, that kind of crazy person who's like, I think we can do this, let's do this. And like, yell about it, right? That's me. I'm one of those driven people. If I see something and think we should do it, man, we should just do it. Yeah, we should help the community. No, we should help the community for seven days and get all the churches to help together. Boom, right? We'll do it. We'll just, we're just going to get it done. And with that comes the fact that when I, when I hit a, a limitation or a roadblock, I, I hate it. If I see something and I want to go towards something, if I hit a roadblock in between, it infuriates me. I just want to smash it down with my fist. Like, I'm just one of those people, like, I can't stand it. No, we got to tear this down. We got to go around it. We got to fix it. We got to get rid of it. I hate limitations. That's why, like, have you guys ever seen that movie Limitless? Oh, it's like my dream movie, right? You guys ever seen that? This guy takes this pill, and it unlocks, like, 100% of his brain, and he can just, like, learn anything and do anything. I, like, pray, God, please, would you just send me that pill? I would love it. (laughs) I could take it and just half listen to Mandarin in my ears and I would know how to speak it or whatever. You know, that's like in the movie he does that stuff. And I'm like, yes, limitless. I would love it. 
Maybe you're not as driven as I am. Maybe you're not like that crazy type A person. Like, we got to do this. You're like, oh, I don't understand those people. But I do know this about you. All of us have limitations in our life, and most of us hate them. All of us have limitations we hit in our life, and when we hit them, then we despise them in our life. They can come in a multitude of different things. It could be the fact that that you have limitations when it comes to your intelligence. This is one all of us walk through. Maybe if you're young, you're in in school right now, right? And you're kind of blasting through grades, doing really good, really, really easy. Then all of a sudden, you hit a grade where it's like a brick wall, right? Boom. And you realize before that, you weren't trying because you were just smart enough. And then all of a sudden, you hit a grade where you're like, I got to really try now. I remember feeling that one year where I hit it, and it was like, that was the year my just general knowledge kind of wore off, and now I had to really, really hit the books. I had reached my intelligence limit of what I could just do without even thinking about it. I hate to tell it to you for you young folks who are in school, but it doesn't go away. For all of us adults, it's the same thing, right? We get out of school, we start going into a workplace or a new opportunity, and we hit limits where all of a sudden we think, I don't know if I'm smart enough to do this. It's a new project that's put in your hands. Maybe it's a new opportunity. Maybe you run your own business and it's a new step in a new direction and you kind of have this moment where you're like, I don't know if I'm smart enough to do this. You kind of hit in this limit where you're like, I'm going to have to ask for help. I I can't figure this one out on myself. I I need to get some, some help on this one. It's hard. It could not just be your intelligence. It could be your physical body. Maybe as you you walk through your life, um, there's only so much energy you have, and you wish that you could do more, but you just, you gas out at a certain time of the day or a certain time of the week, and you just, no more energy. I I can't do anymore. And you hate it, but you just hit this wall in your energy. Or maybe you're a person who suffers from chronic pain, and the pain is something that stops you when you get to a place. I love to do that, and I just hit this limit of how much pain I can take, and I, I can't go farther. And it burns you because these limits are stopping you from accomplishing what's next. Maybe it's your personality. Maybe you're good, intelligent, and you have, you know, you're doing good body-wise. But personality-wise, you just don't sync up. There's those people that just seem to be able to make friends with everybody, and they just immediately click in school or in the workplace. And you just step back and you say, I, I'm just not that person. I just hit this, this kind of weird limit in my personality. I can't be that outgoing person, and I can't just jump into a conversation and get people to laugh, and it it feels like this limit that's stopping me from reaching maybe what's next. Maybe, and I'm guessing most of us have dealt with this one, it's your finances, and you have dreams of what you'd love to do or where you'd love to go, but you hit this real limit where all of a sudden the bank account says zero, so that's not going to happen, is it? We have these limits. I want to do this, or I'd love to do this, or I'd love to give to that, or I'd love to accomplish this, or I'd love to buy this, and boom. That's all the money we got. And you hit this limit in your life. Obviously, while we're here talking about it, the same can be true in our spiritual life. Not just our physical or our mental or, you know, our social or our financial, but our spiritual life. We can feel like we hit a wall in our spiritual life. Or maybe we're walking in our faith, and then all of a sudden we, we hit something where we feel like, I don't, I don't know enough. I feel unprepared for what's next in the situation. I don't understand enough of God. Maybe people are asking you questions, and you say, I just feel like I'm kind of at my limit of, of knowledge of what I can bring to this conversation or what I can bring into the situation. 
Maybe for you, it's, it's your ability to be discipled and to, to push past stuff, your ability to accomplish things. There's sin in your life, or there's an issue that keeps re, reissuing itself, and you said, I want to move past this, but I just keep hitting this limit of my own discipline. I try, and then I fail, and I try, and I fail. And there's just this wall that keeps limiting me from accomplishing where I want to go. Maybe it's your busyness. And you're encouraged, excited. We talk about spiritual things. We talk about reading Philippians for this next month. And you just hit where you're like, I don't have any more time. I would love to, but I'm just, I'm out of time. I don't have the ability. You feel like you're just running constantly and you just max out on time and you got nothing left. Or maybe even it's just in your, your faith. Maybe you can't put a word on it. Maybe you can't specify it like I tried there. Maybe you just feel like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm at a limit. I've tried to move forward, and all of a sudden, I just feel like I'm banging my head against a brick wall. I can't tell you what it is. I can't explain what it is. I just feel like I'm at a limit. All of us face limitations in one way or another. All those different areas of our life and our spiritual realm and all these things, we face limitations, and limitations are really, really difficult to deal with. There's this amazing story right here in Philippians 1 of Paul that I believe can give us clarity in regards to our limitations. It might be a little abstract to see, but I'm going to paint it for you, and I pray that it can change something in you. So here's what we're going to do. Jump down to Philippians 1, and we're going to read verses 12 and 13. This is what Paul says. Paul is speaking to the church of Philippi, and he's writing this from Rome in prison. Paul had been locked up for spreading the gospel because it was causing too much of a ruckus. He's locked up in Rome with chains on his wrists. And he says in Philippians 1, 12 and 13, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. Wait a second, Paul. Everything that's happened has helped spread the good news. We'd say, wait, 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 no, 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 not everything, right, Paul? I mean, you're, you're standing in Rome with chains on your wrists, okay? If there's the most clear limit we could possibly think of, it would be a chain, right? Paul, you're literally chained to the floor, okay, in, in Rome. I'd say that that's a pretty big limit. How could that help spread the gospel? Everything here has helped advance the gospel. Really, Paul? The chains are on your wrist? Because I think maybe if those weren't there, it'd be moving even faster, right? Paul says exactly what he means. Everything has helped to spread the good news. Yes, everything. Even this most real limitation wrapped around his wrist, keeping him from moving. He says that all of this helped spread the gospel. How? I want to share a statement with you, and you're going to immediately think that it's not true. Because it sounds so antithetical that you won't believe it when I say it. But I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it like a hundred more times. And by the end of this message, I believe that you're actually going to understand it and believe it's true, because I'm going to show you in the scripture that it's real. This is what it is. Your limitations don't limit what God does through you. I'll say it again. Your limitations don't limit what God does through you. Now, naturally, in our minds, we think that does not make sense. Because if I have a limit, 
that should limit what I'm able to do, what God's able to do, right? I want to show you how that's not the case, how it's not true. Think about this. Paul says everything, everything including the chains. And here's the question I have to ask for you today as you're thinking, I don't know how this could be true. What if what God wants you to do isn't beyond your chain length, but inside of your chain length? What if you have these limitations that you've hit, and it feels like all of a sudden you're walking and the chains go tight, and that's as far as you can go? But what if what God wants to do through your life isn't beyond where your chains reach? It's actually inside of where your chains reach. Do you see what, what Paul said here? Paul says, everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. He says, yeah, everything is helped because guess what? While I'm here chained, there is a whole group of guards and palace officials that have to be here with me every day. They can't leave. So guess what I do? I tell them about Jesus every day. Every day they come to work, and every day they're there, and I talk to them again, and I say, hey, do you know why I'm locked up? And they're like, yeah, we know, Paul, why you're locked up. It's Jesus, right? And he's like, yeah, Jesus. That guy rose from the dead. I met him. And they're like, yeah, okay. He says, man, everyone here, everyone here, maybe the chains come tight, the limitations exist, because without them, we wouldn't stop and look behind us to see what's right around us. Without them, we would keep walking and we would miss the opportunity that sits right around us where we stand. Think about this. What if what God wants to do through you isn't somewhere way out there? You've hit your limit in one of these areas and you feel like you're stopped. What if behind that, right around you, behind you, is actually what God wants you to do? Not way out there. Think about this. Have you ever seen a a dog that's chained up in a yard, and maybe it's like one of those really, really crazy dogs. So you one of those chains with the spikes in the ground, and they twist it, and they put that dog there. And, and you can tell which one's the crazy dogs, because when you come up and you look where they're at, the dog's chained up, right? And what the dog does is it runs to the edge of its chain, and then it runs back and forth in an arc, doesn't it? Back and forth and back and forth in a big old circle. And what will happen is sooner or later you'll look, and this dog will literally have a bare spot worn in the middle of the yard, won't they? The chain dragging between them and that has tore out all the grass. It's tore out all the weeds. Maybe at the end where their feet go, it's all like bare and dug down. There's like a hump there from where their legs are at. And in this, inside this chain length, there's just dirt, nothing left. Outside of it, all grass, all weeds, and inside of it, just, just bare dirt. What if the reality is, is God's not worried about what's beyond your chain length? He wants you to do something inside your chain length. What if instead of being a a lazy dog laying around, we're supposed to use every inch of chain that God gives us and run back and forth so much that we wear it down to dirt? Think about this. Who is inside of your chain length? Who is inside of your chain length? Your kids, mom or dad, close friends, brother, sister, cousin. Maybe it's coworkers that you share something with every single day. Somebody who you live with. 
somebody who you bump into on a regular basis. You run into them in the gas station. You run into them here and there and there. Someone you knew from a long time ago in high school and you still have this connection with. Who's inside of your chain link? What if, what if the point was that we're actually supposed to embrace our chains? What if when we hit a limit, we're not supposed to keep looking and say, if only, if only, if only, we're supposed to say, if this is how far I can go, then that's what I'll do. What if it's not about what you would do if you had a million dollars? Because you don't. What if it's just about what you would do with exactly what God's given you right now? What if it's not about what you would do if I, was, if, I, if I just had all the time in the world, if I was just a full-time missionary, I could just do all this. What if it's not about that? What if it's about the two or three extra hours you have a day after work? What if it's not about what you would do if, if you were a better speaker or if I really knew the Bible better or if I really understood all this and it is just exactly what you know today? What if inside of your chain length is exactly what God wants you to do. Man, what would happen if we embraced our chains? What would happen if we wore out the weeds inside of our circle? I mean, if we ran back and forth and back and forth like Paul, everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows. Everyone inside of my chain length, they know. I went back and forth and back and forth. I've wore this place down to dirt. I've wore it down to dirt. There's nothing left. The weeds are gone. What if we grasp that for us? And we said, if this is how far I can go, I am going to wear down the weeds inside of this circle. If this is where my chains come tight, I am going to wear down the weeds inside of this. Your limitations don't limit what God does through you. We have to ask ourselves this question. Are we passionate about what God wants to do? Or are we passionate about what we want to do for God? Let me ask it again. Are we passionate about what God wants to do? Or are we passionate about what we want to do for God? There's a really easy test you can do that. Whatever you're passionate about, think in your mind, would I be just as happy if it happened, but I wasn't the one to do it? If the answer is no, then you're more passionate about what you want to do for God, not what God wants to do. Paul talks about this. He's sitting there in chains. He's hit his limits and we get a glimpse at what his mindset is, and I think it's so good for us to see. Here's what it says in Philippians 1, 14 through 19. He says, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. And Paul says, when I get locked up in chains, when this happened to me, he says, some people who loved me, they said, man, if Paul can't be here, I need to pick up the slack. Paul's chains went tight, and they said, if Paul's not out there, man, I, I, gotta, I gotta start walking. I gotta start preaching the gospel, because if Paul's not here, I need to pick up where he left off. I need to continue his legacy. 
And he says, then others, they said, finally, Paul is out of the way. We don't have to compete with that guy anymore, right? Maybe to them, it was all this numbers game. And to them, as they were preaching, they hated the fact that Paul was really killing it. I mean, people were just left and right and left and right. And they said, finally, Paul's out of the way. Let's go and let's tell you about Jesus. We're going to ring up these numbers and really, really, we're going to beat Paul. Selfish ambition, right? And Paul says, you know what, though? I don't even care. He says, I I don't even care whether or not they're doing it because they love me or whether or not they're doing it because they hate me. All I care about is that Jesus is getting preached. All I care about is that Christ's message is getting preached, that the gospel is moving. I don't care whether or not they're doing it because they love me or they hate me. What I'm concerned about is what God wants, not what I want to do for God. Some of our limitations the ones we come against when our chains come tight, they might exist because that is what initiates other people moving forward. We hit a limit, we think that's it, but in fact, us hitting a limit is what activates other people to continue forward. That's the story of this church. That's the story of Acts. That's the story of my life. I say, let's run as hard as we can, and then all of a sudden, boom, the chains come tight here, and other people say, well, if Cameron can't do that, I'll do that. If Acts can't do that, I'll do that. If we don't have enough people for that, I'll do that. And it activates people to begin to step out because they say, you know what? If that person would have just kept doing it, they would have never stepped up. Never. Never. It was when they saw them come to that limit, when their chains came tight, they said, I need to step up and I need to do something. And yeah, there's the same situation in regards to, say, like, like our church. We talk about how we're a kingdom-minded church, right? And there's other churches who are going to look at Acts and what's happening in Acts and people getting saved, and they're going to say, man, we need to preach the gospel. We need to just the same way, the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. And there'll be other churches that will preach the gospel harder and work harder because they hate us and they don't want us to win souls. And we don't care. Because as long as Jesus is preached, that's what we're interested in. If the gospel goes forward, that's what we're interested in. The same thing with your life. This is why it's true. Your limitations don't limit what God does through you. Your limit might be what activates someone else and continues what you were hoping to do in someone else's life. But here's the reality. I think that most people, most of us, We don't despise our limitations because we feel that it might stop us from going where God wants us to. We despise our limitations because we feel like it's going to stop us from going where we want to. We're not angry at our limitations when it comes to our personality or our knowledge or our money or our spirituality because we're afraid we're not going to reach where God wants us to. If we're honest with ourselves, most of the time, we're annoyed with those things because we feel like it will stop us from getting where we want to. We can get jealous of people around us and what's happening in their life. We can get jealous of how far their chain reaches, but it seems like mine stopped shorter. We can start looking at people and saying, oh, it must be nice, it must be nice, right? If I had that much chain, I would do that. What if God's plan for you is not to have as long of a chain as that other person that you might look at? What if God's plan for you isn't to be as wise as them or to have as much money as them or to be able to speak or know the scriptures as well as them? What if, what if the reality is that, that your chain is not going to reach as far? I'm not saying that, that when we hit a limitation, we just simply need to say, well, that's it, and just feel defeated. That's not the case. Very, very often, I'll tell you the case in my life and what I've seen in scripture as well, chains are often for a season. 
Limitations are often for a season because we're walking past opportunities that are right here around us and God needs us to focus in on those and then he'll give us some more chain to reach somewhere else. But what if it isn't? What if you never will have as much as that person? You never will go as far as that person. Oh, well, you know, if I, if I could go across the ocean, I'd tell people about Jesus, but, you know, I just got stuck right here in little old LaSalle, Peru. But there's dying sinners on every street corner right around us. You have to answer this question. You have to answer whether or not your life is about you and what you want or whether your life is about him and what he wants. Paul clarifies this. We're wondering, how can this man be in chains and have so much joy, be in chains and believe that the gospel's progressing, be in chains and be so confident and just understanding of where he's at and not complaining, right? He says this in Philippians 1, 20 through 24. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work, fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Paul says, you wonder why I'm so confident why I'm so calm, though I have chains on my wrists. He says, because to me, my life is Christ and death would be gain. To me, my life is Christ. The whole reason why I exist is Jesus and his plans. Not my plans, his plans. Not my glory, his glory. I mean, don't you think, right? Paul's sitting there. And Paul, like I said, I mean, outside of like Jesus in the New Testament, Paul's like the second most important man in the New Testament. Okay? This guy created so much of what we know. Our New, our New Testament without Paul would look like Matthew, Mark, Luke, no, excuse me, not Luke, Matthew, Mark, John, and then we would jump to like 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in Revelation, Jude in Revelation. We would miss like everything in between because those were his letters, and Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, was actually like his right-hand man who traveled with him. Most likely his faith was built under Paul. We're talking about a man that is hypercritical to the mission of Christ here on earth. If ever somebody who it's important that he uses every bit of his energy while he's here on earth, it's the man Paul. Yet he finds himself in chains. And what we don't see in this verse is Paul saying, hey, hey, God, God, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm in chains, and if, if you took these chains off, I could do a lot more for you. And God went, oh my goodness, Paul, you're right. I never thought about that. If I didn't have you in those chains, you would be preaching the gospel right now somewhere, wouldn't you? Thank you for bringing that to my attention, Paul. I didn't realize that. Paul finds himself in chains. And he's confident because he says, I know that I told Jesus I give him 100% of my life. I mean, you think if Paul says, I'll do whatever you want, Jesus is like, nah, just take 50%. I'll put you in chains the rest of the time. It's good. I'm good. I mean, do we think God is like some crazy, wasteful God? Nah, I don't need 100%. It's all good. Just put you in chains. You can die in Rome. It's all good. Do we think that when we hit our limitations, do we think that God doesn't know where he has us? Right? 
hey, God, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm running out of money. God, I don't know if you knew this, but, but I'm tired. I don't know if you knew this, but I'm this. And God's like, yeah. I mean, do we not think God doesn't know where he has us right now? This is why Paul stands so confidently. He stands there knowing, saying, my life is Christ and death would be gain. I know that I told God I'd give him everything. So if I'm standing in chains right now, it's because Jesus wants me in chains. And I'm not concerned about what God wants to do through my life because I realize my limitations don't limit what God wants to do through me. Perhaps if Paul was never in these chains, this book would have never gotten written. He would have kept walking and maybe he wouldn't have stopped and wrote this letter to Philippians that's changing your heart this morning. You see, God's plans are far, far greater than what we might see in our own life. As we stand there at our limitation, not realizing why. God, why do I struggle with this? God, why would I hit this? And God says, you can't see it yet. But is our life about us or is our life about what God wants to do through us? There's this amazing story, man in the Old Testament. So this man named, named Joseph. And Joseph, he was his, his father's favorite son. His father's favorite son. I mean, he was just like, he was the man to him. If you guys have ever heard that goofy story or whatever, that goofy play, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, yeah, anyone? No? Okay, it's good. Stay away from musicals. They're dangerous. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, that's where it comes from. His dad gave him a fancy coat because he loved him so much, and his brothers despised Joseph. And Joseph was a very, very good man, and when he was praying, he got these dreams of one day his brothers coming and bowing down before him. And he shares this with his brothers, and his brothers, I mean, just hate him for it. Hate him for it. Although Joseph was seeing a prophecy from the Lord. He wasn't being prideful. He was sharing, I had this crazy dream, guys. Where, where all of a sudden you were bowing down in front of me. But his brothers don't take it that way. His brothers are like, you are the most cocky man I have ever met. How dare you? So there comes this day where Joseph goes out to meet his brothers, and his brothers see him coming, and they say, hey, hey, no one's around. Let's kill that dreamer. Let's murder him and leave him behind. And we'll say that just a wild animal came and killed him. And as they're kind of moving forward with it, their older brother Reuben, he says, don't do this. Don't have this blood on your hands. Let's just put him in a hole. We'll just let nature take care of it, right? So they do that. Reuben thinks, I'll come back and I'll get him. He leaves. But then all of a sudden, these slave traders come down the road, and the brothers realize, if we kill him, nothing. If we sell him, money in the bank, right? So they take Joseph, pull him back out. They sell him to these slave traders, and there goes Joseph, now sold into slavery. He gets sold to a man named Potiphar, Potiphar had this big old farm, and he gets Joseph, and he begins to have him work for him, and Joseph was just blessed. God kept blessing Joseph and blessing Joseph, so much so that Potiphar just kept giving him more and more responsibility for his house. He said, you just do this, and Joseph, you know what? You're good at that. You just do this, until finally, they literally said that Potiphar, all he did in this day was he woke up and tried to decide what he would eat that day, because Joseph took care of everything else. He'd wake up and be like, hmm, steak or lobster today? I think I'll have both, Right? Who cares? Joseph's taking care of this. Unfortunately for Joseph, Joe was hot. I mean, physically, he was attractive. He was a good-looking man. Potiphar's wife, apparently not so attracted to Potiphar, she begins noticing Joseph. And all of a sudden, the story goes that when Joseph comes around, she keeps saying, hey, Joe, hey, Joe, hey, Joe. 
And how is this for up front, guys? She walks up to him and says, take me to bed. That's how she introduces her conversations with him. No small talk here. Joe, take me to bed. And he says, never. I would never disrespect the, you know, your husband this way. I would never be that man who would sleep with another man's wife. I would never do this. But she just keeps hounding him and hounding him. And finally, one day, she corners him. He says, absolutely not. He goes to run, and she pulls a piece of his cloak away. And being rejected by him once again, when Potiphar comes home, she says, Joseph came in here and tried to rape me. And Potiphar believes his wife, and he takes Joseph, hauls him off, and throws him into prison. Here's Joseph, his character maligned, put in prison. He's in Egypt, and the Pharaoh sends these two guys to prison with him. One's a cupbearer, another one's a baker, and they both have dreams. And Joseph, again, just, I mean, being touched by God, he interprets both their dreams. One of them, he says, you're going to be dead in three days. The other one, he says, you guys, you're going to go right back into the king's court in three days. And sure enough, both of them come true. And yet he sits there in jail for years and years and years, rottening in a dungeon. Until one day, the Pharaoh, he has this crazy dream, and none of his people can interpret it. No one can figure out what it means. And his cupbearer says, wait a second. There was this guy when I was in prison that year. Remember when you got mad, I spilled something or whatever, and you threw me in jail? There was a guy there. He interpreted my dream, and it came true. Let's get him. They pull him out. They bring him up there, clean him up. Pharaoh tells him his dream, and Joseph interprets it and says, there's going to be a terrible famine in this area. If we don't prepare, we're all going to starve. And Pharaoh says, I believe what he's saying is true. We need to prepare. And in fact, who better to prepare for this than you? Yeah, you, Joseph. He takes and cleans him up, puts a ring on his finger, a robe around him, and he says, you're number two in charge in our country now. You're the vice president. You're going to make sure that we prepare for this, for this terrible famine that's coming. You're in charge. And it says that he literally rode in a carriage next to Pharaoh. I mean, rags to riches, right? Right? Rags to riches, from a dungeon to being number two in charge. 